All right, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see everybody today, um, if I can see you. Um, it is uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we'd like to say a very happy Memorial Day weekend uh, to everyone who's uh, not only been a veteran, but uh, have family members, friends who've uh, served in the service and also given their lives for our personal freedoms. And so um, we, we thank you for your service, and we uh, thank you as a family or friends who've sacrificed alongside of them. Um, but if I don't know you yet, my name is uh, Roland Fisher, and I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to be with you today, and we are actually going through this summer, uh, going starting with a series post-Easter about what the church looked like post-resurrection Jesus. What that means is that after the Easter celebration that we had and um, all that we did to honor his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, um, we have the author, Luke, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us an early account of the church and what the church looked like as they were led by the Word of God, led by the commissioning of Jesus Christ, and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been going through a series called Chicago Fire, uh, the Spirit-led church in the city, trying to give us an understanding of what it is uh, that the church should look like in the midst of our present times. And we can look to the example of the Scripture to find out what it is that um, the church has done, what it has been, and what we are to be today. Uh, now, <clears throat> unto that end, we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts over the past several years and um, going up until the day of Pentecost, the day of celebration that uh, even the church celebrates today. What we um, want to do is uh, pick up where we left off last week. And what we saw was that uh, the Apostle Paul, writer of the three-fourths of the New Testament letters, was speaking and ministering in a city called Ephesus. And in Ephesus, uh, God actually started to move in uh, miraculous ways. And today what we're going to talk about is Jesus and a church that's actually known by the Lord. Jesus and a church that is known by the Lord. Now, even though I say a Jesus and a church that's known by the Lord, um, in honor of uh, Memorial Day, what, the reason that we're talking about Jesus and a church that's known by the Lord is because even as we celebrate Memorial Day, what we're celebrating is the battles that people have had to uh, face in the physical, right? Um, but we also know that very practically there are battles that we very, in a very real manner, face as Christians in the spiritual on a daily basis. Is that not true? Um, when we look at uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul was writing a letter to the Christians in the city which he was ministering in, and uh, he talks about in Ephesians 6 about a battle that's constantly waged. And whether we like it or not, <laughs> that battle is going on. Whether we put our hands down or our arms down or not, uh, the battle still rages. And I'm often remembered, uh, remembering a, an African proverb where it talks, and I'm paraphrasing, but it talks about a lion and a gazelle. And it says that every morning a lion gets up and this lion must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it'll starve. Every morning a gazelle gets up and this gazelle must run faster than the slowest lion or it'll be eaten. Either way, whether you're a lion or a gazelle, when you get up, you better start running. You better start running. And that's how it is for the Christian, is it not? 
It's like whether you are feeling it or not, whether you're ready or not, there is a battle going on. But the good news is, is that we have the lion, <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah, the risen king, Jesus Christ, who's fighting on our behalf. And when we are a church that's known by the Lord, we actually have uh, confidence in the battle that we're waging, that we actually have victory in him. But to do so, we're going to talk today about the fact that it's not about <clears throat> what you know, in God, it's about who you know. It's not about what you know, but it's about who you know. And then we're going to talk about it's not about what you think you know, but it's about who knows you. It's not about what you think you know, but it's about who knows you, okay? We're going to talk about not only it's not about what you know, it's who you know, but also it's not about what you think you know, it's about who knows you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good news to us today, your gospel, your everlasting gospel. And we thank you that in your word, you've given us a clear and present hope for our battles today. Lord Jesus, you won the ultimate victory by your death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And God, we ask you that even as we look to your word today, that you would open it to us and that you would help us to understand how we are to live as your people in being more than conquerors through you who loves us in our present day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's open, if we will, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> We're going to start there today talking about it's not what you know, it's who you know that matters. It's not what you know, it's who you know that matters. Now, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we have to say from the get-go that we honor the Word of God here. We honor the Word of God, and as Psalm 138 says, it says that um, God has made this clear. He's exalted above all things, above everything. His name the name of Jesus Christ and his word. And so anything that we know about God, anything that we do in God, anything that we come into in God has got to be based on his word. But we have in the scripture an example of what God has done to interact with his people throughout history. And we see in the book of um, Acts, starting in verse um, chapter, chapter 19, verse 11, Paul continuing to minister in Ephesus. And I'm going to read this slowly so that we can get a clear picture of what's going on as God moves in and through his church. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Pretty extraordinary. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, 
confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. How many of you have ever read this before? Okay. This was actually an encounter that the Apostle Paul during his ministry had in the city of Ephesus. And we see that extraordinary miracles were being done. We know that our God is a supernatural God and that God performs miracles, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that even as the gospel is preached, the greatest miracle that can ever occur is the salvation of a human soul, where he turns people from darkness to light, from death to life, and from the power of Satan to God. That's clearly what the scripture talks about, and it takes a supernatural sign and wonder to do that. I remember that when I was growing up without God and without hope in the world, as Ephesians talks about, that I did not have any interest in pursuing the things of God. I was not somebody who the many Christians today would call a seeker. How many people have ever been to a seeker-sensitive church before, where they did everything to construct an atmosphere by which people might be somehow enticed or somehow pricked or some somehow brought to the knowledge of God through the environment that they created. Well, that did not work on me, even though I grew up in a place called Charleston, South Carolina, and there was a church on every corner. And on every corner, there was a church where they were trying to have all types of bells, whistles, and tricks to entice me to come into the church and the house of the living God. However, I was disinterested. And it was not until God Almighty came and sought after me and did a miracle in my heart that I actually turned from death to life from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. It was completely by the grace of God that I stand before you today. It wasn't because of my good nature. It wasn't because of my wisdom. It wasn't because of my ingenuity or skill. It was because God had mercy on me. God came and took a hold of me and saved my life. And many of you who did not grow up in the church are clearly aware of that. Those who've grown up in the church sometimes have to be reminded of that, right? That it wasn't me choosing God, but it was God choosing me and appointing me to bear fruit and fruit that would remain in this lifetime. But as we grow up in this earth and as we grow up in the cities in which we live, we've got to come to grips with the fact that as we have been bought and taught by God, God, there's also a battle that we have to wage to walk out and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there's a battle that wages by the kingdom of darkness to try to prevent us from completing the work that Christ started in us. And what we've got to see is that it's not in those moments about what we know, but it's about who we know if we're going to overcome. If we're going to overcome, we've got to know the God of the Bible that we preach. We cannot know just about God. We've got to know him personally in a dynamic way if we're going to advance against the kingdom of darkness, push it back in our own personal lives, not to mention our families, our cities, and the nations in which we live and see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven as he taught us to pray. And so it's not just about what we know, it's about who we know, as we see in this example with Paul ministering in Ephesus. Now, I always found this a bit startling, 
Because I looked at Paul, and obviously you knew that he was ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then you saw these sons of Sceva, who were also going around and at least acknowledging the name of Jesus, right? You would have thought, hey, listen, at least they're on the right side. At least they're on the right side trying to see demons come out of people and demon deliverance take place in the ministry that they were actually entrusted with. You would have thought that because they honored the name of Jesus, that would have been good enough for them to be used mightily in the hand of God for kingdom advance. Wouldn't everybody think that, right? But you have almost in in the church world sort of, uh, how, how can I explain this, sort of levels of intimacy, And what I'm not talking about is a hierarchy. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is an enthusiasm that radiates out of people where God has commanded his people to be fervent in spirit for him, right? To actually be zealous for the command and the will of God always, keeping our spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And there are some in the church who have a spiritual fervor and fan it into flame, and there are some who do not. There are some who are ardently pursuing God, not only having a knowledge of God, but pursuing the intimacy with him that leads to deeper levels of not only understanding, but also a walk with him where you're not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, the sons of Sceva, though they acknowledge the name of Jesus and they try to imitate the ministry that Paul was entrusted with and that Jesus actually ministered in during his earthly ministry on the earth, it said they were formulaic. They were formulaic in their ministry. They were formulaic in their approach to the things of God. And so when they came into this encounter with this demonized man, this group, <clears throat> this demonized man who needed deliverance by the living God, What we saw is they tried to practice a formula that they had heard Paul ministered with. They tried to induce a formula that Jesus himself had ministered in during his earthly ministry. But the problem with that is that if you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't really have a formula when he healed, did he? Jesus sometimes spoke to people and they were healed. Sometimes Jesus said, just go believing and you'll be healed. Sometimes Jesus laid hands on people. And my personal favorite, sometimes Jesus put mud on people's eyes (laughs) and said, go wash and you'll be healed, right? Jesus didn't have a formula for how he did things. He was walking in step with the Father. And he said, I do nothing on my own, but I do only that which I see my Father doing. And that, therefore, I'm able to do what the Father is doing. Basically saying that this kingdom is not a matter of word only, but it's about power. It's about power. And all of a sudden, these sons of Sceva, I'm sure, were hearing the testimony of who Jesus was and what he had done. And then after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, what the church was doing, primarily through this man named Paul, and he was like, hey, listen, if Paul could do it, we can too. And in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, you see the degrees of separation there. You see the degrees of separation, even in their vocabulary. It's like, I don't necessarily have like a walk with God myself, but in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, if I could just say the right things or say it in the right way. Have you ever heard that, seen stuff like that before? If I could just get my written prayer down and say, okay, I've heard it said this way, in the name of Jesus, who, wait, hold on, excuse me, sorry, I missed the word. In the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul, right? Then it will happen just as it was for them, right? 
But he said, listen, when, he, when these sons of Sceva tried to drive out the demon, they said, listen, Jesus I know. Jesus I know. In the heavenly realms, Jesus is known. Right? At the end of the day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in the heavenlies and in the earthly realm. Doesn't matter if it's happening now, it will happen at the end. It will happen when Jesus makes his return and comes to restore all things. But he says it's not just about Jesus that I know. He said, I think I've heard of a guy named Paul. I think I've heard about a guy named Paul who, you know, has been going around and, you know, seeing the kingdom advance in these ways. And, but, you know, sons of Sceva, who are you? I, I don't know you. I know Jesus. I've heard about Paul. But who are you? And it said that in response, when they were trying to drive back the darkness and drive back the um, kingdom of darkness, it said they were whipped. <laughs> they were whipped by that demonized man and went out bleeding and naked, right? Lord knows, does that put any trepidation in anyone at all? Because there are, there's a clash, right? With the kingdom of light and the kingdom of, the kingdom of darkness. When we're going into our workplace, when we're even trying to raise our families, when we're living in this city, there is a constant clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness that you cannot see. You see the manifestation of it, but you don't see what's going on in the heavenly realms. Isn't that what Paul talks about? But he says, you are going to, whether you like it or not, when you're trying to advance the kingdom of God, come into a clashing moment with the kingdom of darkness. And in that moment, it can't be just about what you know. It's got to be who you know. For the authority of God to become out of your life, to see deliverance in other people's lives, much less your own. You've got to have the authority of Christ invested in you. And in that time, it's not just about what you know about God, it's whether you know Him personally. It means that you cannot just grow up in the church. You cannot just be a man or a woman who was raised by a godly mother or a godly father and had it shoved down your throat. And the only reason you're here today is because they made you. Or because they put so much pressure on you that you have to show up. You have got to have a walk with God on your own. Where you're born again. Where you're made a new creation. Where you're actually indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And he gives you power to live as a witness for him. I tell that to my kids all the time. You know, yes, I'm a preacher, but I say, listen, they know... God don't have no grandbabies. You heard that before, right? God don't have no grandbabies. I was talking to my, my youngest the other day, sweet as can be. We were talking about being born again, again. <laughs> and I was talking to her and we were explaining things once again. And I said, sweetie, you know, you need, you know, you need to be born again. And she's like, yeah, I know, Daddy. I was like, but that means you've got to repent of your sin and serve Jesus as Lord, even as you put your faith in him. Yeah, I know, Daddy. I was like, great, great, great. So are you ready to serve Jesus as Lord? She said, I'll think about it. I was like, oh, <laughs> so close. But you know what? She ain't baptized yet for that very reason. 
She's not baptized yet for that very reason. Why? Because she needs to repent and believe the good news. And until she knows the Lord, and she not just knows the scripture, but knows and is transformed by the Lord, she will not have what she thinks she has. We are not trying to raise religious kids. We are trying to raise those who are transformed by the living word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, his power and his resurrection. And this is what the church had to come to grips with. It's not just what I know, it's who I know that matters. We need to desire to grow in the authority of Christ. And when we grow in the authority of Christ, when we actually know Christ, when we actually walk with him, not just have a head knowledge about him, which is the foundation of it all, right? You've got to know the word of God if you're going to relate properly with him. Everybody say amen to that. We've got to embrace and be filled with the Word of God if we're going to know even His voice as He speaks to us. But when we know it, we've got to come to the God of the Scripture and walk with Him. And as we walk with Him, He says, I'm going to invest my authority in you to drive back the darkness and to overcome in this spiritual battle that you find yourself in. You need to desire to grow in the authority of Christ so much so that he can not only make you an overcomer, but use you to drive back the darkness in other people's lives as well. Do you feel like you have that type of authority? That God's invested that in you and is working in you and through you in such a manner? Well, people often say, I feel so weak, so ill-equipped, and so unworthy. I see the things that the early church did. I see the things that the early church was involved in, but I could never imagine myself being involved in such a manner. Anybody ever said that before? I have. It's like, listen, great, awesome. Look at what they're doing, advancing the gospel in the known world. I want a piece of that but I feel so ill-equipped and unworthy. Well, there's a woman named Christine Kane. Many of you have heard of her recently. Okay, she actually said things this way. She said the biblical model is that God deliberately chooses imperfect vessels. Those who have been wounded, those with physical or emotional limitations, then he prepares them to serve and sends them out with their weakness still evident so that his strength can be made perfect in that weakness. When you have the authority of Christ, it's more about him than it is about you. It is all about him and not about you. If I come against demonic powers and I say, in the name of Rollin, they'd be like, I'm a whoop you boy. The lights are rolling up their sleeves, right? But it's Jesus' authority that he invests in his church. He said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Okay, this is Christianity 101. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He said, therefore, in that authority, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very ends of the age. Why are you able to do it? Because he's with you. Not because you know about him, but because he's with you. The ever-present, ever-loving, ever-living God. And he says you must not just know about him, you must know him. The problem is our culture suffers today because of the idolatry of self and independent calling. 
self and independent calling, right? It's all about me, my accolades, my acumen, my abilities, my accolades, all that I can do and produce. And therefore, they're not dependent on the living God who wants to anoint and empower them to do His will. And it's also they live divorced from His body. He's the head, and they live divorced from His body through which His kingdom is supposed to come. And in the idolatry of self and independent calling, many are whipped by the devil like the sons of Sceva because they are both formulaic in their ministry rather than relational and disconnected from the body of Christ from which we derive the Lord's strength. You see people all the time talking about their personal ministry, their personal calling, their personal anointing. What about God's calling, God's anointing, God's church, God's power? If we would get connected to Him, the vine, we'll be connected to His people. And when we're connected to His people, His body, His his power clearly flows from the head Christ on down. And He says, do it my way and you'll see my results. The only way to walk in the power of God, exemplified in Acts, is to first have an intimate walk with Jesus and to be full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit, right? We're Trinitarian here. Amen? Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They were then filled repeatedly. Everybody say repeatedly. So was it a one-time thing according to Acts? It says they were filled repeatedly with joy, boldness to be a witness, skill to reap a harvest of souls, and authority to push back the kingdom of darkness in their everyday lives. On and on again, over and over again, being filled with the Holy Spirit, so that they might have authority to drive back the darkness. But the question is, what does it look like to be this in tune with Jesus? Let's throw up the uh, picture on the screen. Many of you are familiar with this psalm primarily because of the songs that we sing. But the Bible says very clearly in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, it says, As the deer longs for the water brooks, so my soul longs for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. For the living God. I pray this over and over again for you, our church. I pray this over and over again for my children. I pray this over and over again for anybody who would come to know him. That your soul would thirst for the living God. For the living God. That you would long to go and meet with him. That's what King David prayed. He said, when can I meet with you? Oh my God. Not just hear about you or study about you. When can I meet with you? If you are married in here. How many people know there's a big difference between knowing who you're betrothed and actually knowing you're betrothed? Hello? There's a big difference. There's a big difference between being intimate and, yeah, we had some good conversation. It's like, no, I want to know my spouse. Okay, don't be religious in here. You know what I'm talking about. In the same way, in the same way, God's like, don't just know about me. I want you to know me. Walk with me, talk with me, hear from me, be filled with me. This is the dynamic that God wants out of us. And to do so, we've got to devote ourselves to being close to Jesus. 
Devote yourself to being close to Jesus. Not just intellectually, but relationally. Relationally. Pursuing Him. Talking with Him. Hearing from Him. Staying in step with Him. Mark 3, 13-15, whenever Jesus was first appointing and sending out His disciples, He said it this way. It said He went up on a mountainside and called to Him those He desired. Mark chapter 3, it says, and they came to Him. He called to Himself those He desired, and they came to Him. See, these were young Jewish boys already familiar with the law of God, Right? They'd grown up in a culture already being exposed to the Word of God, the law of God. But Jesus said, hey, listen, I want more from you. I'm appointing you. I want you to come to me. They came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he says, literally, I'm going to invest my authority in you when you're with me. When you walk with me. Not just know about me, but you have an intimate walk with me. It's not just about what you know, it's about who you know. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Anybody ever read any of Charles Spurgeon's writings? Okay, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It is not a matter of time. Lord Jesus, we always hear that it's like I would do more with God, but it's all about I don't have the time. I'm bu- Who's not busy? <laughs> right? I don't have the time. I know the right things, but I just can't get around to it. And he said, listen, it is not a matter of time so much, so much as a matter of heart. If you have the heart to pray, you will find the time. If you have the heart to pray, you will find the time. And here's the good news. It doesn't have to look perfect. You know that when you have kids. You know that when you have kids. Why? Because having kids is messy. Is it not? You want to, you know, the only time your house is clean is when you know people are coming over. Right? It's sort of like everything is put together. It's like, listen, we're on the 10-minute countdown. You, You start barking orders. You know, you over there, you over there. Right? Because you're about to have things go down. And real life is messy. And so when you're trying to find the time to pray, pray on the go. I love Nehemiah. He prayed right before he showed up before the king. He's like, Lord, it's about to go down. Bless what I'm about to do, right? You just need to stay in connection with him. Stay in connection with him. And if you stay in connection with him, even when it's imperfect, you won't get used to the footholds of the enemy in your life from which God wants to deliver you. You won't get used to them. You won't start to say, this is just normal, or this is just who I am, or this is just the way things go, or this is just my personality. Why? Because you know God's Word is your standard. You know His promises are true, and then you'll walk with God in such a way until you get His authority being expressed in your life. Isn't that good news? He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Charles Spurgeon also said it this way. He says, but to actually get to that place, you need to uh, actually know the fullness of Christ. And you will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything else. You will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything else. Right? 
because we only have so much capacity. We almost only have so much time, so much breadth, you know what I mean, so much margin in our days. You're always making a sacrifice of one thing for another. Isn't that true? Call things what they are, and then you'll be able to get Christ in His fullness. It's not just about what you know, it's about who you know, but it's not only about that. It's not about what you think you know, it's who knows you. Just as surely as we need to desire to grow in the authority of Christ, just as surely as we need to devote ourselves to being close to Jesus, we need to be, we need to, as Christians, determine to be known by God. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, he said it this way. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, he's talking to the uh, church. So remember, he's in this missionary journey. He went from Corinth to Ephesus. And so he's writing to all these churches and the conditions and the situations that they find themselves in. And he says, listen, now concerning you, Corinthians, about your city's full of idolatry and people are offering food to idols. And, uh, but concerning this food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, though, puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. He does not yet know as he ought to know. Isn't that good news? That God actually says it very, that plainly to us? No matter how long you've been a Christian, yes, you possess knowledge, but you don't yet know as you ought to know. Isn't that liberating? I, I find it liberating that I'm always growing in the knowledge of the inexhaustible God. <clears throat> if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, if anyone loves God, oh beauty, he's known by God. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. You see, and that's where he relates to us as children, right? Sort of like you, you aren't impressed when you have children by their information or their capacity to school you on things, right? You are overwhelmed by their love for the daddy or the mama, right? Do you, you remember that? Or if you have nieces or nephews or if, if you have people who you consider such, you are overwhelmed by their love for you, not necessarily their ability to impress you by what they know. Same way with Father God. He said, I'm not impressed by what you think you know, which it should be based on the revelation that I give you by my word in the first place. I'm impressed in whether or not you love me. And if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Knowledge has its limits. Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says, like, listen, the secret things even belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we might obey all the words of God's law. Faith, hope, and love, expressing themselves, though, through obedience, can be ever-increasing. What we've got to watch out for as a church is thinking that we know so much about God that we actually give ourselves license to not love Him. We know so much about God that we give ourselves license not to obey Him. See, there are, two, there are two camps in the church that are extremes. There's legalism, which maybe some of you came out of, where it's almost like you had to work your way to God by rules, traditions, laws, instead of the grace of Christ. 
And on the other side of the pendulum, there is licentiousness. Licentiousness, which we call hypergrace. Hypergrace, meaning because God will forgive me, I can do anything and he, I can always come back to him. How many people have ever seen um, somebody or felt before the pressure of legalism? Okay. How many people have ever felt the pressure like, or seen um, people walking in licentiousness? Sort of like, woohoo, pade, 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 pade. Oh, but, you know, <laughs> right? As if that absolves them. And what God says is you've got to love me. Be right there, smack dab in the middle. Put your dependence and your confidence fully on the grace to be revealed in Jesus Christ. It's not about you or your works. It's about him and him alone. But at the same time, because of that faith, you walk it out in love and obedience for him. And if you walk in love for him, you're known by him. I always use this example in my former days in club hopping. And um, I remember going to the uh, clubs, and there were certain clubs that anybody could get into as long as you paid a fee, right? Anybody remember those clubs? Yeah, okay. But there were other clubs that you had to know somebody to get in. Anybody ever been to one of those clubs before? You had to, it's fine if you haven't. I prefer that you not. But like, okay. But you had to like know somebody to get in, and you know you had to sort of name drop, and sort of at those clubs, it's sort of like if the person, the owner of the club, was there and you knew about them, and you were like, "Hey, listen, tell him Rollo is here." Say Johnny was the owner of the club. Johnny, tell him Rollo is here. And then the bouncer, you know, big, 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 big guy, you know, bruising, not always nice. You know, like he goes, hey, you know, you're real deep voice, you're going you're to have to wait a minute, right? <laughs> and so he goes back into the club and he talks to Johnny. He's like, hey, listen, you know, this name, this name named Polo is here. You know, he doesn't even get your name right, you know, but it's like this name named Rolo is here. And he's like, I don't know no Rolo. <laughs> so you know what? He comes back out and he says, listen, you may know about the owner, but the owner doesn't know you. Get to stepping. Get to the back of the line. Get to the back of the line. That's what it's like in the kingdom, right? A lot of times people say, I know about God, but Jesus is like, I don't know them. I don't know them. Why? Because they don't love me. They know a whole lot about me, but I don't know them. And this was one of the primary things that he ended the whole Sermon on the Mount with. He ended the Sermon on the Mount saying, it's not just about what you think you know, it's about who knows you. Matthew 7, 15-23, Jesus said it this way, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It does not matter who they grew up as a, um, as a child of. It doesn't matter where they grew up. It doesn't matter how they grew up, what church they grew up in. It doesn't matter what they were involved in. It says, if they're not bearing good fruit, they will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Are these the words of Jesus? 
Hello, is this the, are these the words of Jesus? It's not just about what we think we know. It's about who knows us. Why? Because he went on. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. Does this sound like the sons of Sceva? Hello? Does it not sound like them? In your name we were trying to do all these things. In your name I was part of a youth group. In your name, you know what I mean? I served as a part of a ministry team. In your name, right? Anybody remember John Wesley? They used to say, listen, just preach it until you believe it. And he didn't have a, he wasn't saved until he said, I had a moment where I felt my heart strangely warmed. I was in ministry, but God hadn't made me new. I was doing all these things in his name, but I didn't know him. And Jesus was saying, on that day, away from me, you evildoer. And you evildoer, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so in that instance, God's drawing a clear line saying, it's not about what you think you know about me. It's, do I know you? Do I know you? And when we're preaching, we're teaching, we're appealing to people for the sake of Christ. It's like, listen, does he know you? Not do you know about him, but does he know you? Because God wants to. God died and rose again to get a hold of you. But does he know you? You know God when you repent of your sin, walk with Jesus, love him, and obey his commands. This is proven when you are knit together and serve Christ faithfully in and through his church. This is when you come into alignment with God's will, increase in his kingdom authority, and become known by the enemy because you join Christ and his people in his kingdom advance. In Christ, we are always led in triumphal procession and have the eternal victory by his resurrection from the dead. But the question today is, are you walking in his authority? Because you don't know just about him, but you know him. And number two, have you come to a place where your confidence is in not just what you think you know, but your confidence is in who you're known by. Who you're known by. See, because X, remember we talked about before, it's the Acts of the Apostles, yes, but it's also the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit that they had in the book of Acts. Guess what? Same Holy Spirit we live by today. Good news, right? Good news. And so the question is, can we actually put our confidence in him in the same way that we might see him do the same thing today that he did then? For his namesake, for his glory, to Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? All right. Worship team, come on. What we'd like you to do is as we digest this, um, just think about those two questions. Uh, number one, 
do you know God? <clears throat> and not just about God, but do you know him intimately and personally? Has he made you a new creation in Christ? Because if not, today's your day to repent of your sin and be made new. <laughs> Put your faith in the resurrected king and allow him to make you new. If you're already a Christian, you ask yourself, have I actually been like the sons of Sceva? doing things even in his name, but walking at a distance. And I need to take that next step, walking intimately with him. Like that deer panting for water. I'm going to come near him and actually have him invest his authority in me to push back the darkness. And finally, number three, is it, have you been in a place where you've put your confidence in what you know, but in your living, even as a Christian, even as a Christian, you've been in a licentious place. And if you were to appear before God today, he would say, listen, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of evil. Remember, he was saying that to people who were doing things in his name. Because if that's been you, it's an opportunity to repent and get right with Jesus today. Okay, so you can rise to your feet and we'll go back into worship.